Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of This Book Changed My Life. I am Natalie Ford. Thank you so much for joining me. Every week on This Book Changed My Life, I talk to one of my Berkeley High School colleagues about a book that had a lasting impact on them. And we also talk about a bunch of other stuff like how long they've been at BHS, where they were before, um, other classes they've taught. And we also talk about what they read as a kid and what kind of student they were growing up. So today on the podcast, we have Lenny Waldman. And uh, on the podcast today, Lenny and I talk about a bunch of different things. But it's interesting, like every week when I release two episodes, no matter who the two people are of the week, they always have, there's always like some theme to the week. So this week we have Lenny and another person who... I'll save for Thursday, but these two people to me, their whole theme, their whole vibe is coming to me at this time when I'm thinking about like, what is my job as a teacher? What am I there to do really? What are the things that matter? What are the things that I want to communicate, facilitate? All those questions. Um, and Lenny is a person, when you hear this interview, interview, he talks a lot about what he sees in his own classes, like experiential ed, and he talks about the communications retreat. And when Lenny talks about those classes, and when I think about those classes, I just think they're such a beautiful, healthy break for kids from, you know, these words like rigor and AP and honors and everything's so high stakes and everything's, you know, we have to be perfect at everything. And Lenny has always offered this place in our community where that just doesn't have to be the case. For me personally, I went on the communications retreat a long time ago and it it was a really special and magical experience. I've thought a lot about these two interviews in the last couple days. And one thing that I will say to Lenny and I'm saying to you now is, I, I mean, I understand that we can't have the communications retreat. I'm, you know, funding. I don't really know the logistics of it, but it just seems like something that was so special and so helpful. And if there were ever a time for it, um, now would be that time. I know as a person who went on that retreat, Susie Dubeck was my partner in crime. Shout out to Susie Dubeck. But when I went on that retreat, you just saw these, you just saw these walls come down between students and you saw them understand what it meant to be a listener, like to listen to someone else's story and not to listen and say, well, yeah, but or not to listen and say, well, I mean, the same thing has happened to me, just to listen to somebody else. It was so powerful. And when I think about what do students need right now, what does our school need right now, what does our world need right now, to me, we need more experiences and opportunities that are not about the test score or the right answer or assessments or any of those words that just seem really dumb right now, but we need more opportunities for them to be able to tell their stories and we need more opportunities for them to listen to the stories of other people. 
And that is why Lenny Waldman is a magical person. (laughs) And I'm really excited to share this interview with you. So here we go. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, I hear you. Well, thanks for coming on my podcast, Lenny. I really appreciate it. Um, so here's how this is going to work. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. I'm mostly we're going to talk about your BHS history, which I really don't know off the top of my head. So that'll be fun. And then um, what kind of like student and reader you were growing up and then a book that changed your life. So can, we're going to start with your BHS history. Can you tell us like how long you've been here and was this your first job? All that stuff. Yeah, which is really unusual because most people are like, wait, you, you've been at the same job for literally 25 years. I'm like, yeah, same place, same job. And I wouldn't trade it ever for anything. But yeah, the, Berkeley was my first full-time teaching assignment. Uh, <clears throat> I started, uh, well, let me back up for a second. I went to Berkeley High School for four years too. So it kind of like, you know, adds to the length of time in the building, I always say. Yeah, I know. So the kids did the math. They're like, so you spent over half your life in this building. I'm like, yes, I have. And and I'm proud of it. And, and, you know, and it proves our kids can do math and fractions and stuff, you know, it's like they can figure out percentages. But I, yeah, so I, I, um, I did actually student taught, which was real unusual to be able to student teach where you, um, teach as most teachers would know. And uh, in 96, 1996 was my first contract year. uh, And it was split actually, I was half a day at Burton Elementary as the K through three phys ed teacher. And hilarious, I, I know it was like, I had the strangest schedule. It was great though. And then I was half a day at the high school in the afternoon teaching basically like foods, like food, diet, nutrition, independent living class like that. So it gave me a full schedule, but I was split between the two schools. So I had kindergartners literally in the morning and seniors in the afternoons. It was all over the map. That's really funny. Wait, I'm wondering a couple of things. First of all, what are you certified in? Well, this is, you got to remember too, this is before the state mandated certification in areas. If they thought you were competent or capable, you could pretty much teach anything that they felt comfortable with you doing. And I had a, um, a background in coaching and I was a certified personal trainer and fitness instructor. So they looked at that and said, well, he can probably do fitness. He can do an elementary phys ed class. You know, it's like, he's not launching, you know, an Apollo rocket here. So they gave me the opportunity to do that. And it was amazing. I, I, was it fun? Like that seems like a fun job. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I literally, I mean, I couldn't be happier being at the high school, but would they have said you could spend the rest of your career, your life in this little gym at Burton Elementary and seeing the smiles on those kids' faces and just every day, you know how kids, when they go to their specials areas, they lose their minds. They lose their minds. They do. They run in there like scream. They're all lined up quiet and stuff. And then the teacher's like, okay. And the teacher needs a breather break. And then they just come in and lose their minds. And it's the best because it's all that energy and it's all that excitement. So it was kind of strange. So that's how I, that's where I started though. That's how it all began. You know, at least the journey at Berkeley. (laughs) How long have you been an experiential ed? That's like how I know you. That's how I've always known you. Right. I well, I when I got to Berkeley, they asked if I'd get involved with the communication retreat that had been running. Oh my god! Since the nineties, and so then I got involved with that, and then myself 
and Dan Inman, I don't think anyone else might be left. They, um, they paid, so to say, for us to be formally trained through Project Adventure, which is a adventure team building leader organization outside of Massachusetts. And they will, I should say, they're located in Massachusetts and California, I think Japan and Australia. It's really weird. Their locations throughout the world. And they work with everyone from, you know, these NFL teams to, um, to Fortune 500 companies and CEOs and stuff. So it was really cool to get to go through this training when they came out and worked with us. And then that kind of spawned the experiential ed class. I was able to uh, uh, create, or I'd not really created, it had been created prior at other high schools. I kind of brought it over uh, in 2003. You know what's funny is, um, like the experiential ed class, I, I took it in high school. I went to Groves and I feel like it was really similar. And at Groves, we called it the multicultural retreat, but I also went on that. And um, it's funny because I know this podcast is called what, like the book that changed your life. But to me, that both experiential ed and um, what's it called? The communications retreat are like, I have very vivid memories of all of those things in my youth. And do you find the same thing that like people, your students find it to be a very memorable class or a very memorable experience? Yeah, I've had students come back and literally say that when they got to go on the retreat, which I'm so sad, you know, we, yeah, so sad. we don't run it uh, currently anymore, but they said that was the single best experience of their entire high school career. I mean, they wrote letters, parents literally would write letters to the administration saying, I don't know what you did to our kid over the last three days, but thank you. You know, and we were like, well, what'd we do? <laughs> no, it wasn't anything bad, you know? And it just, it was really a great life-changing opportunity for so many students helping them to see their strengths and their weaknesses, which is the great part about it. it even though they were identified as leaders originally, you know, and they were asked to go, but representing every corner and every facet of the school. So it wasn't some popularity contest of right. getting and yeah, you remember, it was great. And it's funny because when you mentioned you were at Gross, a lot of my training came from Paul Van Ehrman, who was oh my like, gosh. Yeah, for sure. the one who got me into this. He was one of the key people. Superman himself. Um, okay, wait. Also, I, I went on the communications retreat as a counselor and I was I was partners with Susie Dubeck. Like, could you get a better partner than Susie Dubeck? Oh. And um, I She's the best. But um, Lenny, I know we don't, I don't know why we don't have the money to do this. Like, I'm sure there's an answer for that. But don't you think there's no better time to have a communications retreat than right now? Yeah. Like, Not now, like pandemic, like now, like 21st century student. Yeah. Like literally no better time almost. I mean, short of, you know, being allowed to be in proximity with one another again. It was just, yeah, it's, it was, it's really unique opportunity and um, many other districts, you know, from Bloomfield Hills to others, they were calling us. They were saying, we hear like you run this, like not me, meaning the school, right. <laughs> but it was established, like I said, and grew um, over all the years. They said, you guys seem to do it like the best. And this is great and incredible. Like how can we do this? So I remember meeting with the superintendent from Bloomfield Hills, trying to explain it to him. And I said, you know what? 
I almost have to come out and like run your first one to show you how to do it or something because I don't know you it, being someone who went on it yourself you know that like you can't just verbally tell someone okay this is how you do it now go out and good luck <laughs> so no it is um it's something that you gotta experience but it I, I don't know I get sad that we don't do it anymore and I think with technology like what what a kids need to know more than how to communicate and it's such an immersive experience that they do I think that they do really come out different people which is of course our objective you know in a lot of ways Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And All right, uh, listen, wait, hold on. Switching gears a little bit because I feel like I could talk to you for a really long time. No um, okay. Tell me what you read growing up or what kind of student you were growing up. And we're not looking for any perfection here, Lenny. Uh, many people have said I was a terrible student or I didn't read or whatever. So your honesty is valued here. Okay. On, honestly, right from the beginning, like my friends to this day, tease me they're like wait to be that teacher thing you do did you have to go to college i'm like yes i had to go to college they're like and you have like a real degree i'm like yes i have a real degree and they're like i think they want to see paper or something because based on us being kids they're not buying it you know <laughs> That's funny. like did you go to grad school i'm like yes and they're like all right we don't know what happened to you i said i you know what as a kid i was not <clears throat> for starters, I wasn't like an avid reader, but one of my good friends was a voracious reader. I think he was reading, <laughs> no lie, the Wall Street Journal when we were like in like sixth grade. I'm like, it's like a college education for whatever, two bucks a day, you know? <laughs> if you could yeah, read. for sure. That's and, <laughs> and I was, you know, so I was not the avid reader when I was young. And then I was not the strongest student by any means because I think it was this lack of what I call organizational skills. Yeah, if I could have been organized, I could have definitely probably done better. But uh, the lack of those organizational and time management skills really like just like devastated me. And it took me like years to really, it wasn't, I'll be honest, I, it was probably like till I was getting into like middle school, you know, and into early high school before I was starting to get, you know, more organized and then junior, senior year, you know, that's when it really came together. But boy, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I think I know what I would say. This is what you need to stress, buddy. You know, this is what you need to do. <laughs> How did you figure that out? Did you have an adult that helped you or did you kind of just make a lot of mistakes and then fix your mistakes? You know, it's a, it, was, it was a twofold thing. I had really had great, you know, parental structure, you know, and great parents in the house who were, you know, looking out for me, but <clears throat> it was teachers and, uh, and in given teachers at certain points and in good and counselors too. counselors and teachers were like so helpful, but there's always like that one or that or two teachers who really have that impact on you, who help you to really focus and structure. And I think that's what, you know, I, had gotten and helped me. Do you remember your Berkeley teachers that made a big difference in your academic life or in oh. your like taking yourself seriously life? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like, I, God, there's so many, so many of them out there, you know? Uh, there's, well, when we started working, a bunch of us back in the middle 90s or so, uh, they were still there. So it was really weird having to work with teachers that had taught me because I couldn't call him by the first name. I was too intimidated. I was like, Hey, big guy, how you doing? They're like, look, <laughs> you're going to have to start calling me Frank. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I know I can't. I, I just can't do it. But uh, there was one, there was a social studies teacher, Mary Jo Maples, and she was just wonderful. And she was just like, so caring. Um, so an English teacher, Sherry Suggs, one of the all time. Shout out, shout out. God, what a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, uh, Coach uh, Famous Amos, Sherry, 
Amos was just incredible. You know, these were people who really pushed and pushed and taught and gave me the opportunity to make myself better is what they did is. And that's what I respected about them so much is that they just didn't give the answer. They gave you the tools to try to create who you are, you know, and to create a better self and uh, just yeah, okay. wonderful people. So when you went to college, what did you, did you know you were going to be a teacher when you started college? Oh God, no, God, that's the weird thing. I was not even, you know, we joke, I joke with some of the teachers about this, like Angie Church and I, because I always said, weren't the two of us supposed to be in the FBI or something like that? Because I was, my, my major was criminality. I wanted to go into federal law enforcement. And that was, I want to be a federal marshal, actually, is what I wanted to do. And I know it sounds much more glorious than it really is. It's, a, you know, any law enforcement at times could sound more, you know, magnanimous than it is at times, I'm sure. But that was what I was interested in, because I always liked and enjoyed I always wanted to help people and work with people. Got it. And the coaching bug bit. And then from there, it just steamrolled into wanting to work more and more with youth and kids and, and students. And then I just kind of pushed the, you know, the crime fighting idea to the side there of federal law enforcement. And then, you know, teaching popped up and then never looked back, you know, no regrets, no reprisals. Um, Lenny, don't you feel like uh, maybe every now and then you do have to use your crime fighting skills uh, in your teaching career? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's like, well, thank goodness we don't have to use them as far as like trying to break up too many. You know, yeah, exactly. I don't picture you. I don't picture you as like a, um, like an aggressive person. You're like the nicest person in the world. And I find it kind of interesting that you wanted to fight crime or you wanted to be a federal agent. Yeah. Just, you know, just so much wanting to work and help people, you know, and do, good, you know, try and do good in the world. Yeah. I wasn't looking to have to be the guy who kicked down the door, you know? Yeah. Okay. Got <laughs> it. I figure let, let the uh, SWAT team do that. I'll come in after that. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's been take control or something, but gonna, you were going to do all the rescuing is what you were going to do. Exactly. You know, and it's like, and I mean, if you think about it, how many of us in education, if not all of us, we rescue all the time. Yeah. All the time. Part of what we do. You say it best. Not all heroes what? <laughs> you know? Wear capes. You know, it's funny. It. I, do, I do think about that too. Like not, I mean, I should say we try to rescue or like we plant seeds so that people can rescue themselves five years down the road. Cause you yeah. know, it doesn't happen immediately all the time, but um, I know we're trying. Um, uh, Lenny, what, what is the book that changed your life? Gosh, book that changed my life. Uh, whew, you know, this is the, you know, looking through and then thinking and thinking, because there were so many when you first contacted me, I'm like, oh gosh, what book would it be? You know, you know, what color is your parish? You know, I'm going through all these like self-help things. And then it all broke down so simply to uh, um, one of my childhood books that he did later on, another one. And that was Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein. And then he eventually wrote a book called The Giving Tree, which just about every elementary teacher probably has on their shelf somewhere. And it was funny because, uh, you know, it's this, you know, it's like a five minute read, a six, you know, and, and when I say it changed my life, The Giving Tree, it really, um, you know, while so many people have given their two cents with regard to what the true meaning of the book is, if there even is one, if one even exists, it really helps, you know, to focus more on what you need than what you want. And, I, and that's, I, I so strongly believe that we need to focus more on, you know, uh, what we need than what we want at times. And especially during these times, if you think about what we're going through right now, and this whole idea, the book really emulates this idea of this unconditional giving, no reciprocity, 
no expectation of anything in return. And, you know, it, 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 it goes further, you know, there's the environmental aspect to it and also the aspect of not letting people take advantage of us, you know, at the same time. But it always still circles on back to that idea of, hey, you know, you know, doing something for someone else without an expectation of something in return, it's a really special feeling. And my goodness, if I say, you know, how many in education, I don't think there's a teacher who doesn't have, you know, that within them, ingrained within them in some way, shape or form. So. Yeah, I agree. I was nodding my head when you were talking about it because in my mind it's about obviously I think I don't know I imagine that it was I always have imagined that book was a metaphor for being a parent um yeah. but it's obviously also what you said like no expectation of anything being returned to you it's also very much what it means to be a teacher like you're gonna give everything you have and you you want we don't expect anything in return that's not part of it that's not why we're there um so I think, do you see it more as a book? When you think about The Giving Tree, do you connect with it more as your teacher self or as your parent self? That, you know, I, I, think, I think in a dual way. I think in both. And I, sometimes we see our, our perspectives are different from when we are in a classroom with a student and at home. But it, it's kind of my mentality uh, it's a little bit cliche, but it's like if I'm talking to parents at a meet your parent night, one of these things, and I'm sincere when I say this, I am going to treat your child the way and, and, and the way that I would want my own kids, you know, treated if they were in uh, your classroom. And with that being said, you know, that's why I, I, I'm thinking, you know, it, it, I'm to answer your question on both sides. I see it as being the teacher the teacher aspect of it and the parent aspect of it. And, and I, it carries over. I can't, I almost don't separate if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, for sure. I it does separate it between the two even. <laughs> um, okay. So my next question is, I was just thinking about that. Do you think that that, and I'm going to call it wisdom because I know for me, like I didn't, okay. Do you think that there's a version of you who was a teacher before you had kids of your own? And then there's a version of you as a teacher after you had kids of your own? Yes, absolutely. Can yeah. you, can you talk about in your mind, like what happened to you as a teacher after you had your own kids and you became a dad? I think after, you know, having kids, I think one of the key things that happened was I started seeing our students in even in a more compassionate way. And not that I, I and others were never compassionate to our students, but I really tried to use that, like uh, I'll throw the sociology term of verstehen, the German word of putting yourself in another person's position or place. Right. Like the old adage of walking, you know, in someone else's shoes. I think being the parent made me really think about that because I'm like, wow, I hope my kids, teachers, treat them as well as I would hope I, you know, as I treat them and as anyone would, you know, a good person would. So I think it, I don't know if I want to say makes you a better person, but it definitely made me more compassionate uh, toward my own students and really thinking about the big picture. Cause I see what our kids go through on any given day, whether they're um, in their youth or their teen years or older, kids have so much on their plate. It's unbelievable. And I feel for them. And I didn't get that when I was a teacher without children, you know, but having being a teacher with children, now I can look at it from that perspective of hold on. 
they may yeah. have been insubordinate literally or really rude or disrespectful, but you know what? Who know, they could have had a serious situation go down at home this morning. You know, breathe, give it a second, see if you can talk to that student and, you know, and try and find out. And I can tell you, it has helped with me with my personal teaching and methodology far more than just, that's it, go out of the classroom or head down to the office or something like that. You know, g give these kids an opportunity, you know, to explain. And that's, in, it, it's changed, it's really helped me so much more, yeah, being the parent side too. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, especially, I, wait, your kids are all, you didn't have to homeschool anyone in this experience of the pandemic, did you? No, thank, thank goodness. <laughs> because it's, it's funny for me, like, I was just, again, nodding at everything that you were saying, like, I know that my kid is not perfect, obviously, and he's going to make mistakes and screw up. And I want him to have the teacher who's like, of course, you're going to make mistakes and screw up. You know, you're 12. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I think the word that I like that you said was compassionate. Like I, I'm in the same boat. I just want a teacher who is there for a rich experience and not, it doesn't want to talk to me nonstop about the grade or, you know, proficiency or mastery. Like it's just this whole it's this whole person that I'm giving them. So, um, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. And also I find your comments interesting because specifically you're the experiential ed teacher. And so I think that you get to see our kids in a really different light. Do you think that's true? Yeah, it's, it's a gift. I call it a gift, but it's a burden. Um, I, you know, I've even asked my, I said the same thing to my sister because the kids will share with me, I, I've had counselors come and actually say, I think you at times are privy to things that they won't even share with us. And it, you never know when things are going to come out. And, you know, and we go through our whole formal CT process and training and, and really help them to understand. But it's, I always say it's the gift that they're willing to share things with me that I guarantee most staff would not know about some kids that they've even had for a while. But at the same time, the burden is then I have to go home and carry it because it's, you know, unless it's something by law or something that would have to be reported, right. then it's, it's kind of what's said in there truly stays in there. And that's the code. And they, and they understand that and they, they really abide by it. And the parents and everyone has always supported and backed it. It's really great. So. Okay. And then um, anecdotally, I know this isn't, this question is, I'm not asking you for research, but when you think about like, you've been here a long time, how long have you been here? 25 years. Is that right? Um, uh, yeah, counting student teaching and stuff. Yeah, this is my 24th full year. So next year will be the actual real 25. Oh, okay, got it. But when you think about like how the teenager, the teenager as a species has changed or like what they're burdened by or like what they think about, like how has that changed since you've been teaching experiential ed and since you've been teaching um, communication and all that stuff? Like how, what have you seen change and evolve over the years from what teenagers are going through? Yeah, I, I, I feel for them. I mean, in, in good, I mean, there's always the positives and the negatives. I always tell them, you know, some things are so much better now and some things may not be as good, you know, it all depends, but, and I'm not going to say, well, because of their technology, they're lacking communication skills. They, they do a, well, this it's it's tough. It really is. I mean, because this question it sums up so much. I can't even, even explain it to you, but obviously I'll give you something short, sweet here. Since like starting the class or running the class in the beginning, uh, kids definitely 
are harder to pull out, if that makes sense, of their yeah. shell yeah. share. And I have my own rationale for why I think it's harder to pull them out to get them to share. But once they do, it, different from back then, because it was gradual, it's like literally the floodgates just opened. Wow. And because I think these kids carry around so much with them, as we know, on any given day. And in, like I said, there's so much on their plate that so many aren't even aware of. And that's why we're seeing these off the chart, as we all know, um, levels of stress and anxiety amongst kids that I'm not saying it didn't exist 10 years right. ago or 20 or, or right. 40, 50 years ago, but we're seeing that unprecedented, you know, where I always say that this is horrible what's going on in the world, but at the same time, it may have saved people in a positive way, a lot of our kids by giving them that home time with family and parents yeah. and really evaluating what's important to them and giving them the opportunity to decompress. And that's why I'm so, you know, such an advocate of, uh, of uh, Andy and our administration because yeah. we've really uh, supported and pushed this, the whole mindfulness uh, concept. Uh, thank you counselors too on that one. Shout out Absolutely. to them. Yep. And, and it's something that was greatly needed and uh and it and it's and it's truly working i mean from our you know our staff from uh Meacham to so many others they're utilizing tactics and things before quizzes and tests things and it and kids come back and they're like no it really helps i'm like yeah. that is wonderful so yeah so I think that's the thing. that uptick of stress and anxiety that's something that you hear from them a lot yeah, it's it's like these they they really I know a lot of people might say, come on, they've got all this technology and things are so much easier for them now than it ever was in the past. I'm like, well, but times change, people change, things change, you know. And while some things may be might have been made easier for them now, other things are far more difficult. You know, as simple as getting into a college or university. <laughs> Please, you know, half the people who went to Michigan probably 30 years ago may not have even gotten in present day, you know? It's like everything yeah. changed and the yeah. and pressure is on them. And I, I I applaud them, you know, all these kids because they they are carrying quite a bit with them. But it is, it's that gift of them being willing to share as part of our team building and training through the class. It's really kind of, it's really cool. Well, I'm sure you miss them. And I'm sure that like, I think about what, I wonder what they miss. And I, I think you're right. Students have said in their journal entries to me, like, hey, it's really nice that half of my teachers assign stuff two days a week and the other half the other two days. They're like, can we do this all the time? It's just so much more manageable. <laughs> and so I hope there are some big takeaways, but I'm sure they do miss like the social aspect. Like that's probably the biggest one. So I'm sure you're experienced led crew is is missing you um all right lenny that wraps it up thank you so much for being on this podcast with me thank you so much for having me this is like so cool this was so much fun <laughs> I, don't, you know, I i don't get the opportunity to really talk to staff members for more than like i don't know seven minutes at a time during the day when i'm there so this has been super cool to learn about people so thanks so much for coming on well thank you you're the rock star thanks so much <laughs> All right, bye, Lance. All right, take care.